Our scripture reading this uh, morning begins by turning to Luke chapter 22. We read verse 7 to verse 23. Luke 22, verse 7 to 22. And uh, our text is verse 14 to verse 18. God's holy word. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. And then you will say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In our text, verse 14 to 18, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. And then we turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 26. We read similar words there, reading at verse 26 to verse 29. Matthew begin to, begins to record the institution of the Lord's Supper without making any reference to the Passover. Luke does, but Matthew does not. And so we begin reading where Jesus begins the institution of the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 29 as well being part of our text. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, it should come as no surprise to us that when Jesus seems to be headed for the lowest point of his ministry, even a complete failure, he is about to achieve his greatest victory, his greatest victory of obtaining the prize for the mission that his father sent him to come to this earth for, to obtain our salvation 
and to secure our eternal glory with him. And yet, of course, we all know that before the Lord Jesus Christ would obtain the crown of glory, he must first endure the cross of shame. And that is what we see beginning to happen here in our Scripture passage. We read in verse 14, Now that the hour had come, telling us something momentous is going to take place. Uh, the Passover feast must be, uh, must be uh, uh, celebrated now. We read also in verse 7 that Passover must be killed. And this, of course, would be the event upon which Jesus Christ would institute the Lord's Supper. For his disciples and for you and I and all who believe on his name, And both of these suppers, the Passover Supper and the Lord's Supper, both of them hold forth a glorious promise of a heavenly feast for all God's children. Our theme this morning, Jesus promises believers they will partake of a heavenly feast with him. Now this is gospel news, isn't it? This is great news of a heavenly feast that we will partake of with the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in the first place how Jesus expresses a very fervent desire to eat this Passover with his disciples. But then secondly, also Jesus expressing the fact that he will not eat of it again until the kingdom of God is fulfilled. And so, as we look at these these things, congregation, we cannot help but understand why God had said to his son already on two times, Behold, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. His son was going to accomplish the salvation that he sent him into the world to do. And here we see it about to happen as Jesus gathers these 12 disciples with him around this supper table in an upper room. Let us notice first congregation how Jesus expresses his fervent desire to eat this Passover with his disciples. We read in Luke chapter 22 at verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him, and he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus' soul here is charged with a deep emotion and feeling of many tender feelings for his own disciples. We know that the Lord Jesus has loved his disciples so dearly. He has taught them so much over the past three years. They've been through a lot together. And now finally this hour comes, which in in essence will be the final hour with them before he must suffer. This event must also take place according to the will of God for Christ to have this final Passover supper with them. And so, understand his words when he says to them, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Two times Jesus uses that word desire in verse 15. It it reveals the deep passion of his heart to do something very important, something very necessary, something very special with them before he suffers. And it's simply to eat and to drink with him and to enjoy sweet fellowship together with them 
as they celebrate the mighty works of the Lord God who had delivered his people from Egyptian bondage so many centuries before. We see that the, that the Passover feast was really a celebration of divine redemption. What greater feast or occasion could we possibly celebrate but to celebrate divine redemption? No wonder Jesus had a fervent desire to celebrate this very occasion of the Passover. For the Passover, I submit to you, is a celebration of God's grace for His people. It's a celebration of God's love towards His people. It's a celebration of God's deliverance of His people. And so what would more fervently be the desire of Jesus Christ but to celebrate divine redemption? For this very reason, Jesus was now about to suffer Himself. The Passover was really a celebration of the very thing Jesus was ready to accomplish for them. A great redemption. And of course, not merely from the tyranny of a pharaoh or of a Roman emperor, but a a deliverance, a celebration of a deliverance from all their sin and the bondage to all their iniquity. It really was a celebration of salvation of that of the disciples and congregation of you and me as well. And so we get it when we hear Jesus speak of his fervent desire to eat this Passover feast with his disciples and to drink the fruit of the vine with them in celebration of that divine deliverance and redemption. And thus, the Passover feast had to be the occasion or the foundation for him instituting his own holy supper for their sake, wherein he would signify to them the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood unto a complete remission of all their sins, signifying his sacrificial death on the cross to obtain divine redemption for them, for you, and for me. Isn't that the greatest thing in the world we could possibly ever celebrate, congregation? We celebrate all kinds of things. We celebrate something like Canada Day or we celebrate a Thanksgiving Day, but they're nothing compared to the celebration of divine redemption that the Lord here begins to set forth for His people as He again looks to the Passover feast and speaks to them of what it was and then building on that foundation his own holy supper for their sake, for you and me and all God's people. And so here again, the words of the text, with a fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And there's that lingering sense as well. Before I suffer. Back in chapter 22, verse 7, We read, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So we see there's there's something else going on here too besides celebration, but also the hour of his suffering was coming upon him. And he was to make that known this very last time at this Passover supper with them. 
He's very soon going to leave them. He's very soon going to go to his own cross and bear the sin and the shame of their sin and ours. He's going to deliver them from the greatest bondage that they or we could possibly ever suffer, namely our sin. And he's going to relieve our suffering of sin by his own holy suffering on the cross. And so this is the last supper that Jesus will celebrate with them with fervent desire. I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I should probably read just the first half of that verse just to give you again the, the, the tension and the sense of it. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it. I'll leave you hanging there. Verse 18, for I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine. Leave you hanging there for a sec. You can imagine how the disciples must have felt when they heard those words. I will no longer eat of it. I will no longer drink of the vine. As if to say, now our table fellowship is going to be finished. It's done. No more fellowship meals with you. No more intimate teaching and conversation with you about the kingdom of God. As if to say, it's almost all over. And they're thinking, you have to suffer? We're going to lose our master? Yes, yes, yes. But, but, but. But secondly, Jesus states, he would not eat of it until. And there's that beautiful word, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Our second point As soon as Jesus says, I will no longer eat or drink, he right away seeks to alleviate the tension as well and to take away any possible bewilderment or sadness and despair. For in the same breath as he says, I will not eat, I will not drink, he also promises right away of eating and drinking again too in the kingdom of heaven. Notice in particular verse 18, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You see, Jesus' eyes, his intentions here are not merely on the present or looking back to the past long ago in Egypt, but his eyes are also looking to the future and to the fulfillment of the glorious kingdom of God. He even speaks of it as one that is still to come, to come for them, to come for you, to come for me. And so as we look at that last Passover celebration, we, we say it's not simply declaring an ending of things, but it also has the hope for a glorious future as well, a time of new beginnings as well. And this relationship Jesus has with his disciples currently 
It's not simply something that's going to ter be terminated, but it's going to be the basis for the foundation of Jesus securing eternal relationships with his people, with his disciples again. And of course, it will be grounded in his suffering, the cross that he was going to bear for them. And so Jesus must right away at the end of the Passover supper, right away begin to institute the Lord's Supper. And that is what we see happening in the next verse, verse 19 of Luke 22. And he took bread and gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, if we go to Matthew's account of that gospel, Matthew says pretty much exactly the same words. He just adds a few other words. But he also adds this verse, verse 29, at the end of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Luke says these words right at the end of the Passover Supper. Matthew says these words right at the end of the Lord's Supper when it is instituted. It might seem like a contradiction, but it's not. Both of these phrases apply equally to both of the suppers. The message for them is one and the same. The Lord's Supper, together with the Passover Supper, is no kind of a dead-end street for the disciples and Jesus but they form the beginning of a road that leads heavenward to a heavenly feast. That's what Jesus promised in verse 16, Luke 22, I say to you, I will not no longer eat of it, namely the Passover, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The Passover as well is going to have a glorious fulfillment. And it is because the kingdom of God is going to have an inexpressible, glorious, unimaginable fulfillment as well of wonder and riches and power. Oh, in that Last Supper meal congregation and in that first Lord's Supper meal, in a certain sense, Jesus' fellowship with them was temporarily ended, but Jesus at the same time gives a promise of something far better that will far outsurpass anything the Lord's Supper or the Passover Supper ever had been tended to communicate or to comfort God's people with. Jesus speaks of a glorious heavenly feast with them that will endure forever. Again, let's look at the contrast here. Hanging over the Passover meal and over the Lord's Supper was a cloud of sorrow and the imminence of Jesus' own suffering. But over this heavenly uh, future 
celebration, feast, a cloud of glory and rejoicing and unending peace. And so the kingdom of God was not going to come to an end when Jesus Christ was crucified. The disciples must have thought, well, now the end for sure is here. We might as well go back to fishing and forget about everything else. But no, the kingdom of God too would come with an inexpressible glory and power for his disciples and for all of God's people who believe on Christ. Interestingly, notice what Jesus calls the kingdom in Matthew 26, 29, when he says, but I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It's a kingdom like no other. It's the kingdom of his Father's heavenly reign ruling over all creation and we the saints with him. It is the kingdom of God's unsurpassed love and mercy for sinners to forgive them all their sins. It's the kingdom of his Father whereby he is going to put all the nations, all the rebellious under his feet. It's the kingdom of of his mighty power to raise the dead and save the lives of his people from their sins. And the point here is that Jesus Christ is going to accomplish the coming of that kingdom in all its fullness on behalf of his Father, and it will be through that cross of suffering and shame for you, is his message to his disciples and his message for us and to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, it is so worth your while. It is so necessary for all of us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ when we consider the kingdom of his Father that he is going to establish by his death and through his resurrection, suffering for us that we might obtain the glorious entrance and the privilege, be made ready for a feast that is like no other. And so Jesus Christ, congregation, by these words would want to take his disciples and you and I and to transport us by faith to the end of the age and to the coming of the kingdom of his Father with all its glorious fullness. Again, read the text in Matthew. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What amazing words. Drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's not going to be any real terminating of relationships whatsoever. There's really not going to be an end of that feasting either until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is another one of those grand and glorious promises, congregation, of Jesus with his disciples and they with him and Jesus with us and we with him at a heavenly feast, a messianic banquet that we cannot imagine, the sharing of heavenly of a heavenly life sustained by Christ is how John Calvin uh, understands it to be. 
a heavenly feasting, what kind of drinking and eating that will look like, we, we cannot imagine. Perhaps it's symbolic. Perhaps it's very much that kind of an earthy thing that we do here. The eating and the drinking. Heavenly fellowship, enjoying Christ forever. And then truly it will be abundantly clear to us that we will never thirst again. We will never hunger again. It seems very much we have an allusion here to the marriage feast of the Lamb, of which Revelation 19 verse 9 speaks of. And so, congregation, as we hear these words, as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord, as we do partake of the table of the Lord, we're always called upon to lift up our hearts heavenward to Jesus Christ sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. How important it is we, we set our sights now up to Christ at the Father's right hand. But I would also urge you to go beyond that and to set your sights upon the very final day of the Lord and the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory when we shall eat and drink of the fruit of the vine anew with him when he comes into his Father's kingdom. That will be a reunion. We all like reunions. This will be a reunion that is completely unimaginable to us. A reunion with Christ and with all the saints surrounded with the holy angels in our Father's kingdom in splendor and glory and blessedness and power. Talk about filling our hearts. Then with joy, inexpressible, but already now your appetites ought to be whetted very much, spiritually speaking, that your hearts would be filled with joy, inexpressible even now already, at this glorious promise, this wonderful truth that here is spoken to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. May it fill our hearts with joy and hope, with the hope of the resurrection of the body, the hope of the life everlasting, of eternal fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. He indeed promises believers a heavenly feast in which they will partake with him. Jesus' promises are always true. They are totally real, and they are so good. They are good for you and for me. Amen.